0: Every day, The Rundown Podcast keeps you in the loop about the people and places that shape Chicago. The show is possible thanks to the ongoing support of listeners like you who understand the value of our work to keep you engaged. Support The Rundown Podcast at WBEZ.org slash Rundown Donate. And thank you. What's up, Chicago? I'm Erin Allen, and this is The Rundown. This might be a touchy subject, but we're friends, so I'm just going to ask you. How much is your rent? Is it too much? So a rule of thumb
1: is that you don't want to spend any more than 30% of your income on your
0: housing. This is Marisa Novara. She's the vice president of community impact at the Chicago Community Trust. She was also the Chicago Housing Commissioner under mary Lori Lightfoot. If you're spending 50 to 60% of your income
1: on your housing, what that means is that you are necessarily having to scrimp somewhere else. That means, right, utilities probably aren't getting paid on time. It might mean you're scrambling to pay any education bills or food or any number of other essentials in your life.
0: How people are getting by is something we think about a lot here on The Rundown. And, quote-unquote, getting by and surviving is all good and important. But what about thriving? You know, saving assets, building wealth. At some point, that should be the goal, too, right? Especially since when you're thriving, so too does your family and even your city. When you have those kinds of
1: assets in your life, it gives you way more options and way more ability to care intergenerationally for the well being of your family and to invest in
0: your community. Marisa says home ownership can be a key to building both personal wealth and a better society. But as she's going to explain first thing here, there are barriers, historical and modern, that have kept so many people out of the housing market. So you recently wrote an article in Crane's Chicago Business about the importance of home ownership. Um, you also talked about the challenges of home ownership, especially for Black and brown communities, and what we can do here in Chicago to make homeownership more of a reality for people because it's not really a thing, you know, for a lot of us that may be looking into this right now. um, First off, I want to get a sense of why homeownership and your explanation is important and valuable.
1: Hmm. Homeownership is, I, I think, matters on a lot of levels. And one is about the ability to really have autonomy and permanency, if that's what you want in a community, Mm -hmm. right? The ability to say, yes, you know, you don't necessarily control how much your taxes may go up, but you don't have to worry about, you know, a landlord ending your lease, about a rent doubling from one time to the next or things of that sort. It gives you a sense of permanency and the ability to really put down roots in a community. but. It has also been an engine for wealth building for lots and lots of Americans. And that benefit then has translated across generations when uh, someone builds equity in their home and they can then use that equity to uh, do things like pay for college, uh, help their children with a down payment on a home. it, It bears out over time. That's been true, though, for primarily white Americans in this country for many decades, it has been much less true and much more complicated for black and latinx Americans uh, unfortunately,
0: yeah um we're gonna get back to the black and Latinx families in a second, but um first, just a follow up to that, you know, I always just wonder, is at this point home ownership always a pathway to wealth, I mean even in times like these when interest rates are so high, right it feels like renting might be more fiscally responsible sometimes. Like I don't, I personally don't know anyone who's bought a house in my lifetime who now owns that house outright. So I think
1: you're raising a really important point. And I think that there have been times in this country's history, certainly in the lead up to the crash in 2008, where this this sort of mania about homeownership was way overblown. That there are a lot of people for whom the best decision may be for you to rent. And that may be the soundest financial decision and just, you know, your own well being decision for you. And it might be forever. That's mm-hmm. okay too. It's really about to me, I want people to have as many choices as possible in their lives mm. about where they can live and about how they can live. And if, your choice and your desire is to own a home, I want to make sure that there are as few barriers as possible hmm. to that for you. And right now, I think it's what's clear is we have a long ways to go if we're saying we want to um, you know, have an, an equitable playing field for people if they want the choice to do so,
0: to buy a home. That makes sense. Back to the last point, you write that Black and Latinx families in Chicago own homes at a much lower rate than their white counterparts, Talk about some of the historically racist housing policies that help shape homeownership and what it looks like today.
1: Yeah. When you go back to, you know, the the great migration starting in World War I and then beyond, there were practices that were legal at the time called restrictive covenants, as an example, where if you lived in an all-white neighborhood, in many cases, it was illegal for you to sell your home to a Black person. Mm -hmm. So that set up a whole bunch of restrictions around freedom of movement for people who wanted to buy a home, you know, in in various parts of the city. That was ruled um, illegal uh, by the Supreme Court, which doesn't mean that all the barriers immediately went away. Um, So there were no more restrictive covenants, but what we also saw was then okay. That morphed into things like selling on contract, which was not in any way a fair and equitable way to provide
0: lending to buy a home. It, so could that, you could you just give me like a, a quick sense of like what does that mean? Buy on contract.
1: So um, what that meant, and and this is the basis for Ta-Nehisi Coates' article, the case for reparations, and he you know walks through a series of examples in North Lawndale in Chicago mm-hmm. on the West Side, which of course is not the only place that happened, but was a place of great prominence for it, where um, because Black people at that time could not get loans, uh, mortgage loans at fair and equitable rates or at all, Mm -hmm. um, they would buy a home on contract. So when the mainstream banks wouldn't lend, um, in many cases, they were forced to buy on contract at um, exorbitant interest rates and at terms that, for instance, if you miss one payment, after could be years and years of payments, you could lose the home. You had none of the protections that came with mm. a standard mortgage loan from uh, an established bank. Then I'll take you up more to the present. Um, several years ago, BEZ um, came out with a study about the lending practices of major banks today and found some pretty abysmal findings around, you know, the comparison of, I think it was um, for every one loan in a majority Black or majority Latinx community. There were four in a majority White community, for instance. So even today, it is much harder to get um, a loan at favorable terms from a bank um, if you are a Black or Latinx buyer trying to buy in a majority Black or majority Brown community.
0: Talk about the lasting impact this has on folks um, when they have all of these barriers historically and even today,
1: the challenge is that this the negatives of everything I just went through does not accrue only to one person, just as the benefits of homeownership kind of exponentially grow across generations, so do the lack of them. If you did not build wealth in a home and have that money then to save for college, for your children, to save for retirement, mm. to help your children with a down payment for their home, the the ability to ever do so continues to be a challenge across generations. And that's why it really matters is that this doesn't just accrue one time. Yeah. One other thing just to throw in there about part of why the home buying process is so much more fraught for Black and Latinx buyers is that the appraisal process itself is a whole challenge. And there's been lots of research and and lots of mainstream news coverage about a much higher value assigned to a home when the appraiser thought that it was a white family versus um, a family of color. As a system in and of itself, It is basing the value of a home on what people are willing to pay to live in a community. And so the series of decisions that people make and the values that they place on living in a majority white community as opposed to a majority black or a majority Latinx community all get compounded into this thing that we then call a comparative or a comp. um, And that is what decides the value of a home. Mm. So it's very hard to disentangle all of the individual decisions that go into that from establishing what's supposed to be kind of a, you know, objective measure. It's not, you know, it is all tied into what people are willing to pay. It's not intrinsic.
0: Yeah. But I mean, I think it's worth us all giving it our best shot. Let's talk about what can be done here. Um, for anyone who wants to get into this housing market um, as an individual homebuyer. So the city of Chicago is working on some initiatives already, including subsidizing down payments, zoning reforms. Can you tell me about one or two other things that have potential here that have already been really beneficial?
1: Absolutely. I think one of the things we know to be true is that uh, when it comes to creating affordable new construction housing the city has a great asset which is vacant land. A lot of cities don't have that and mm-hmm. we the city owns you know about 10,000 vacant lots across the city that we can then use to build affordable new construction and i think what part of the challenge with doing that has been in order to navigate the system of getting city land from the city requires moving through multiple departments who all ah. have their own list of rules And it's been a very cumbersome process. What I'm really excited about is that uh, the mayor's office has come out with a cut the tape initiative, which is being led by the mayor's office and is across multiple city departments looking to say, we all have got to reduce the barriers to Mm -hmm. moving land into the hands of productive use again. I know people in development are really excited about this, and and I really commend the city for taking that on. Nice. Nice. Some of the barriers to home ownership are also exclusionary zoning. And so there are lots of parts of the north side where the only thing you can legally build in a half mile around a transit stop is a single family home. So in many neighborhoods, that means if your household income is not at least, let's say, Mm $500,000, you can't buy a home near transit. I think that's a loss for communities. I think that's a loss for the city as a whole. And I think that's highly exclusionary.
0: Yes. I mean, how many of us are making, you know, $500,000? Like <laughs> That's a high, that's like a that's... high
1: household income yes. <laughs> right, barrier to, to break. And it, what it essentially says is, you know, you need not apply. Yeah. So in the summer of 2022, the city worked with a whole coalition of folks across the city led by Elevated Chicago to pass the Connected Communities Ordinance. And we made more than a dozen changes to the zoning code to make development near transit more equitable, more dense, more affordable, less parking, lots of Hmm. really great and important things. And I will say that one of the things we tried to do was to end that ban um, on anything other than single family homes in a half mile near transit, and we were not able to do it. However, there's a new council now and I would love to see a return to that issue and to say um, it's not to say you can never have a single family home in a half mile near a transit stop. It's to say that doesn't have to be the only thing and that a three flat in which, you know, there's now a chance for people to become a homeowner in a condo will be much, much more accessible Mm. to a lower household income than if the only chance is a single family home. And that's something, you know, we would love to really return to, uh, to see return to and revisit, because I do think it's important for our communities to reflect a range of incomes.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there's buying a home and then there's staying in said home. And I know a lot of your work with the trust is about the latter as well. Can you get into that? It's so important that, we don't just think about home
1: ownership as uh, first time home buyers getting into a home. And that's, I think, often what we think about. The reality is, though, that we have lots of people living in homes who may desperately need to make repairs to those homes in order to stay there, who may be really capable of continuing to live independently if. They had some help mm-hmm. with making some adaptations to their homes as they age, yes. then they could stay in their community and, and be that you know community anchor in their community if they just had some help making some adaptations to their homes. Those are all things I think that the trust is very interested in exploring. How do we better support people once they are in their homes and ensure that we're keeping them there if that's where they want to stay?
0: Yeah. You talked about this a little bit, just the impact that it can make you know on a community for someone to be able to own a home in their in their space, right, where they want to be, where they have been um and and to stay there when we're thinking about the grander kind of scheme of things um, to have that autonomy and and access what does that do for a culture or a society? I
1: think it's human nature that we all want some degree of certainty and control over our lives, mm-hmm. right? That's what we're moving toward as we um, reach adulthood and and move out on our own, right? That is that is what that yearning is about. But it doesn't go away um, when, you know, when you become a legal adult. It shows up in different ways over time throughout your life. And so just as for some people, they may feel renting is the best thing for me right now, and maybe it always will be. For others, they may reach a point where they say, this is my community, this is where I want to put down roots, and I want to feel some sense of control over the space that uh, is mine. Mm-hmm. And that may come from a, a series of traumatic things. It may come from not having had the ability to stay somewhere you wanted to stay. It may come to, from being priced out, you know, whether by rent or or indirectly in other instances, and a feeling that I want to provide a level of stability for myself and my family And that's why, if that is where someone has reached in their life, and I think the benefits are immense to them as well as to their community. Yeah. And so we all ought to be working to make those options more available to them.
0: Marisa Novara is the vice president of Community Impact at the Chicago Community Trust. Marisa, thank you. Thanks for having
1: me, Erin.
0: And that's it for today. Thanks to Justin Bull and Sarah Stark for producing The Rundown and to Ariel Van Cleef for editing the show. Brendan Vanazek is our executive producer and our theme music is by Louis Weeks. The Rundown is produced by WBEZ Chicago and is a part of the NPR Network. I'm Erin Allen. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you later.